You can be seated for a few moments. And uh, just a few moments, we're going to receive communion together. Feel to do it this way. And, uh, but let me lay out, let me set something up here. Today is Palm Sunday. The day when Jesus made his triumphant entry towards Jerusalem to come and pay a price for us. Matter of fact, John's gospel says it like this, and I'm not going to read every verse. I just want to, it says, then six days before the Passover. Six days, six is the number of men. And Jesus starts making his way into Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Now, we've already sung about that this morning, believe it or not. Because Passover was that that feast time that we were to look back and remember how God brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt. How through a sacrificial lamb that he told all of those people of God, he said, take a lamb, a lamb for every house. Slay it. Put the blood upon your doorpost and go in and roast the lamb and and eat it all. And he said, you're going to be protected. And you all know the story of how the angel of death passed over that night and all the people that had the blood upon their doorpost was free from death and was delivered that the enemy come and said, you've got to get away from us. Go, get away from us. We want you out of our land. So Jesus makes his way in into Jerusalem. He's at a place called Bethany. Bethany means a couple of things. It means that it's a house of figs. It's a fruitful place in one sense. But it also carries two other definitions. It is a place of misery. A place where suffering is going to take place. You heard the song that I guess Sandy Patty made it very popular many, many, many years ago called the Via Della Rosa. And it's a beautiful song, and nobody can sing it in the way that she sung it. But if you want to know what that name means, actually, it means a path of suffering, a path of misery, a path of pain that Jesus was walking on from Pilate's house to the place called Golgotha, the place where he would literally give his life for you and I. Here's the third name, that uh, third definition of the word Bethany. It means the house of poor. The house of the poor. The Bible said because of sin, we've all become poor. We've all lacking something because we don't have the sufficiency and we don't have the... We don't have enough in us that we can ever return ourselves back to God and come back into that place to be hope before Him without the aid of somebody coming to our rescue. And Jesus starts making His way into Jerusalem. The other Gospels talk about, they quote from the prophets of old and they quote from Psalms where He will come riding in on a coat. In verse 12 of, 
of chapter 12 of John says this, that the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out and meet to meet him. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Two definitions of the word Hosanna. One of them is crying out like this. Hosanna, save us. Oh, King, come save us. It was a cry of salvation. It was a cry of deliverance. It was a cry for help. But then on the other spectrum of the name of the word Hosanna, as they cried out, they were crying out, salvation has come. Deliverance has come. Freedom has come. And the people began to lay the palm branches and they began to take their cloaks and begin to lay them, lay them down before Jesus as he would come riding in on a colt. Not on a stallion as a great king would come in. But he come in on a colt because he had humbled himself. And he was showing himself as a man to come on behalf of mankind. To bring us from bondage to freedom. And the people cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as all this began to happen, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him. And that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. One of the last great miracles and everything that Jesus done is great. But the last great significant miracle, Kelsey, was that he raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been put in the grave or laying in the tomb for four days. See, he waited four days because the Hebrews, the Jews, believed this. If he only waited around, if he only waited three, there was a possibility that his spirit had not gone to the Father yet. But Jesus said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to wait for the fourth day till there's no question that this man is dead. And Jesus comes and he calls his name and said, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus came from death to life. And this is what Jesus was showing us as he was making his way into Jerusalem. Those that are dead, I'm bringing to life. Those that are in the tomb and bound up, I'm calling you into freedom. Those who have the grave clothes of this world world on you. I'm calling you to a new way of living. Jesus made his way in. Then the scripture says, then the scripture says, now there were certain Greeks among them who came to worship. And then they came to Philip who was, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew told Philip, but Jesus answered them saying, and I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus just says. He said, my hour or the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now notice how he said that. He said, the Son of Man, the hour has come. 
When the Son of Man, what He come to do, what His purpose upon the earth was for, He said, my hour has come that I'm going to turn the very thing that the enemy has meant for harm. I'm going to turn it around for good for the Father. And I'm going to bring you into a brand new life. But you see, this passage wasn't just a word fulfilled just a few years ago. But this was a word fulfilled all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 that I preach out of so much. You know the story when God created the heavens and the earth and He put Adam and Eve. The Bible said He created man and He created him male and female. He put everything in its order and He blessed the man and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and have dominion over the earth. You need to hear those words again. God said He blessed the man. He said, Be fruitful. He said, He said, replenish. He said, multiply. He said, have dominion in the earth. Subdue it. That's the authority. That's what you and I are supposed to be walking in. And he placed him in a garden as he breathed him. As God breathed in him and man stood up in the glory of God. And he lived in that realm of glory. Until one day sin entered in. Genesis chapter 3. When the enemy came in and deceived the woman. I'm not going to go through the whole picture. But we all know how he got there. But then Adam because of sin. Moves away from the place that God had initially breathed him. The place where he was living in the realm of glory. He moved away from it and now he's hiding among the trees. And evidently he has stepped outside of the garden to some measure. Because that's where God finds him. And there Adam is trying to cover, do everything he can to cover himself up. And the Bible says in Genesis 3 that the voice of the Lord came walking in the cool of the day. I've got an idea that the cool of the day is toward the evening hour. It's towards the evening hour. Jesus would die upon the third hour of the day, which would be, I believe, 3 o'clock. I believe that's it, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. As he hung upon the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, there comes a moment when Jesus said, He said, Father, into your hands do I release my spirit. And he released his spirit. And the Bible said he gave up the ghost and died. Nothing is by chance of two periods of history of time. And Jesus comes. And when it says the voice of the Lord, now there is a visible, tangible, there is a visible, tangible part that evidently Adam could not deny when God came walking into the cool, uh, into the garden in the cool of the day. And the first question he asked, he said, Adam, where are you? Because mankind is not where God wants them to be. Friend, I don't know where you are today, but if your life is in sin, you're not where God designed you to be. If you're away from the Lord, if we're, I, I'm really going to be honest and please don't anybody be offended, but I don't think God ever intended for us to be sick. I don't think He ever t- intended for us to be poor. I don't think He ever intended for us to be broken, bruised, shattered, and beat up by the enemy. So I believe God is speaking to His church. And He's saying to, my ch- to His church, Where are you? You're not in the place that I called you into. Adam, where are you? 
And as he finds Adam, he finds him among the trees and he's covering himself up. He said, I heard the voice in the garden. I heard the rustling of the trees. And I was afraid, Adam said, because I was naked. He didn't say he was afraid of God. He said, I'm afraid because I'm not in the glory. I'm not wearing what I wore just a few moments ago. I'm naked. I'm empty. I feel uncovered. Everything that he felt, the peace and the joy and, and, and the bliss of life was all gone now. It's not there. He said, I was afraid because I was naked. And the moment he said that, God asked him another question. Who told you that? Who convinced you you were naked? Who convinced you? Who convinced you of that? Then God asks the question. He says, have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat of? See, he tells him, you want to know why you're feeling what you're feeling? You want to know why you're empty? You want to know why you feel naked? You want to feel know why you feel uncovered? He said, have you eaten of that tree? See, I believe God was looking for one response. God, I blew it. Father, I sinned. I did exactly what you told me not to do. But instead of, this was his response. That woman you gave me, that you called alongside of me, she gave me the fruit and I ate of it. See, he passed the blame to something else. Instead of staying, I believe everything could have been changed at that moment. Personally, if he would have just taken responsibility and said, I have sinned against you. But instead, I cast the blame. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's her fault. She gave me of the tree. Then the man said, the woman you gave me. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, because now that nature's being passed into the whole flesh line. That serpent came and he deceived me. The reality was she had dominion over him. She had authority over him. She even spoke to him that God said, if we touch or eat that tree, we will die. She could have at that very moment said, I'm not going there. Yes, it's good for food, but I will not touch it. But instead, she listened to the voice of the enemy that had crept his way into their life. Instead of exercising the dominion they had, even... At that moment, she gave into it, and now their world is changed. But not only their world, but all of mankind is changed because of one offense back there. Paul said in the book of Romans, because of the offense of one, many now have become, many have fallen into the guise of, of the enemy. And then the Lord comes and he sees the serpent. Evidently, the serpent wasn't moving away. Because he had thought he had a legal right there. I think if I was him, I would be scooting out. 
But instead, he stayed around because now he has a legal right. And sometimes until you and I can see why the enemy keeps doing what he does is because we have given him a legal right to hang around. And so what does God do to him? God speaks to him. I'm just about done. Hang on. Don't anybody get nervous. We're going to do communion. He said, because you have done this, you are cursed above all. More than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And upon your belly shall you go all the days of your, shall you eat dust all the days of your life. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. But her seed, her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's going to put his foot at some point of time. Because right now she has no child. It's just Adam and Eve. But some point it's going to change. God said, I'm going to tell you right now. A day of mercy. A day of grace is coming. A day where I'm going to turn this around. That the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the enemy. Churches, we celebrate Easter. I'm going to proclaim to you, our King has come. He has come. It is done. It is finished. But then he begins to speak to the woman. And he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. And in your pain shall you bring forth children. And your desires shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. And then he said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In your toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. From dust you are. And from dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. See you thought God called her name Eve. Adam did. God called their name Adam, according to Genesis 5, because they were of one flesh. But now a separation even has come between mankind that now she's not identified as him. She's identified in an independent way. Her name shall be called Eve. And also for Adam and the wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and God clothed them. God covered them in a place of grace. A place of mercy until that day will come. See, the reason you're not totally annihilated for sin is because of the mercy and grace of God that covers you. See, that's why you can get away with something and think, well, nothing happened. I must be okay. It's the grace of God because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Charlie, then this one blew my mind right here. He said, then the Lord said, behold the man who has become like one of us. Behold the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden to eat and to till the ground from which he was taken. And he drove him out. 
And he put an angel before the door with a flaming sword. I began to break that all down and I began to look at everything that God put in the curse here. He began to look at this woman and notice what he said. I'm going to multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband. He shall rule over you. Cursed is the ground for your sake, Adam. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it's going to, it's going to bring from the sweat of your brow or you're going to eat bread until the earth, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken and from dust you are. And I thought, Lord, you put a significant curse upon both of them. But the reality was he was speaking to them both at one time. Because remember their name. He created them male and female and called their name Adam and placed them in this garden. Notice what he said sin is going to do to you now. He said it's going to greatly multiply your pain and your sorrow. In your childbearing, you're going to bring forth. He said not only are you going to bring forth children in pain, he said this, you're going to birth things that you never planned to birth. Because it's not what he intended. It's not what he planned. It's not what was in the heart of God. And he said, now when you should, when you should be standing in authority, when you should be ruling over the earth and ruling over your life, you are now going to come into a place where others are going to rule over you. He said, your husband is going to now, your desire is going to be over him and he's going to rule over you. Why do you think debt's got such a hold in the earth? What is a debt? Something I owe to somebody else and somebody else has to hold me to it until I can pay the debt. That's why the song says, he paid a debt he didn't owe and I owed a debt I could never, ever repay. He said, Adam, for your sake, the ground is cursed. Instead of you living in blessing, where everything you touch, where everything you see, where everything you speak, it's going to prosper and it will fall to what you said. Now a curse is resting upon it. And where you should have been eating your bread to full with no labor or no sweat, now from thorns and thistles, it's going to prick you. Everywhere you go through life, you're going to feel like you're being turned. You're going to feel like you're being misused. You're going to feel like it. But it's a part of the curse. The relationship with God and man has been broke. But the greatest of those curses came, not what he said to Adam and said to Eve, but what he said in verse 23 or 22. The Lord God said, Behold the man has become like us. Wait a minute. I thought he was like him. I thought we, I've read this a million times and never saw this. I thought we were created like God. We are. We are. But there's an attribute now that man is going to live in that he didn't have before sin. Remember, God said, He that man has become like us. So here's what it means God 
is all sufficiency. He has no beginning. He has no end. God is the God of everything. Eternal. I can't even explain it. Everything on the planet really is dependent upon God. Life is dependent on God. The sun being in the sky is dependent on God. The stars and the moon, time, the rotation of the earth for gravity and everything that this world holds is really dependent upon God. God created everything to be absolutely dependent upon Him. But the greatest sin, the greatest mark of the sin now comes on man an attribute that man would have never thought. And this is it. Remember, we created man like us. He has become one of us. Now, this man thinks he's a God to himself. And he no longer needs the God of heaven, of creation. That's why we go to the nth degree before we'll ever turn to God. That's why we do what we do. I don't need Him. I can do life on my own. That's an attribute of the fall when He said to know good and evil. See, God can handle that, but now sinful flesh can't handle the idea that He, he, he has a need of God. And so most of us live in this room. I'll do life the way I want it, the way I feel. If it feels right for me, that's the way I'm going to do it. So he didn't come necessarily. He is, and don't anybody misunderstand, as the Son of God. He could have came from heaven to the earth as an angel. He could have appeared at any time and many times through the Scripture. We don't have time for that. I believe there were times that Jesus came and appeared. But in order to deal with the sin issue, the Bible said He became flesh and He dwelt among us. For now, the hour has come. Miss Shaley, that's who you are, right? For the Son of Man to be glorified. Because everything about Jesus. You remember these famous words in the garden? As he prayed. Just hours away. From the greatest beating a man could ever take. To where they're going to abuse him and misuse him in an unmerciful way. One of the things that my wife, she's not here today because she's at a funeral in Kentucky, has been fasting a secular TV. And all that she's watched is Christian programming, preaching. Man, we've got more preaching in our house than ever before. And she had on the, on the, the Christ. What, what is that movie? No, the one where they're, the passion of the Christ. Thank you. She said, I'm going to watch the passion of the Christ. I can't. I can't. I can't stand to watch them abuse him the way they did. Hollywood is giving the greatest portrait of it they can. But they have so marred him and scarred him. 
At one place, they have beaten him with rods. They've sped on him. One place said that they want, history would say they would take their rods and they would curl they would take his beard and they would wrap it upon those rods and they would yank as hard as they could possibly yank until they were pulling his beard from their face. I can only imagine I pull a nose hair out and I just about pass out, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that had to feel like. And on top of that, they kept doing it over and over and over. And then they took rods to his back. And then they stretched him upon a tree or upon something chained where he couldn't move. Took a cat of nine tails with leather and bone. And no doubt, some forms of metal were strapped into it. And they would stripe it across his body until literally it would pull tons of flesh. And yet Jesus uttered not a word. Just days before that, hours, he's in the garden and he's crying. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Was that cry really about what he was getting ready to face? Or was that, was that the reason he was crying that out? Or was that struggle of self-sufficiency in him? I don't have to do this. I don't need to do this. I don't have to go to the cross. I can stop this at any time. Could it have been possibly that his struggle was not with the whip and it wasn't with the cross, but his biggest battle was that thing that was in his flesh now that he was fighting for you and I, that self-sufficient thing. I don't need to do this. But he said, nevertheless, he didn't yield to it, Charlie. Miss Sabrina, he pushed through it and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he made his way to that cross to die for the sins of the whole world. The Bible said in Isaiah, remember all the curses and everything that was upon him. Everything that was upon him. Let me read this and I'm done. We're going to receive communion. You ought to mark this in your Bible if you haven't got it marked. And you need to go over and over and over this book. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom was the arm of the Lord revealed? For he will grow up out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Listen to what it says. He's going to look like Isaiah looked into the future hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come. He's despised and rejected of men. You want to know what the first question... You remember the question the serpent gave to the woman the first time? Have you considered the tree? That it will make you like God? The first question the Pharisees asked him, by what authority are you proclaiming the right to be and to do what you're doing? Thousands of years apart, and the same question is being answered. And Jesus answered, not a word to them. But it says, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. Remember? Remember? Sorrow, back there, it means pains. 
And you're going to be acquainted with grief. Sicknesses that which ails you. Sicknesses that will be upon you. Those things that ail you. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. And he was despised. And we did not esteem him. We would have said, that man is cursed of God. The Son of God came to be a curse for us. But surely, he had borne our griefs, our sicknesses, and he's carried our pains. And we have esteemed him stricken and smitten of God. But he was wounded. For our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Every bit of that, that he walked that road, on that Via Della Rosa, after a bloodied, opened up, bone exposed, muscle exposed, weakened, bleeding out, And he's carrying that cross. He said, no man's making me lay it. No man is taking my life. But I'm laying it down myself. We may call it his cross. But the reality was, it was our cross. He was carrying my sicknesses, my sin, my disease. That was for me. It was for you. I'm here to declare to you this morning, our King has come. He's not coming. Yes, one day He's going to, if I can explain it like that, He will come and receive His church. But the reality, our King has come and He dwells and He lives within us. But so many of us act like He hasn't finished the job. And on the cross, His final words, it's finished. I've completed it so that you don't have to take it. So this morning, as we honor and we celebrate this Palm Sunday, it's not just some religious holiday. Easter season, Passover, is to be a perpetual thing that we remember what Jesus did for us. That we look back and say, He took care of it at the cross so that we don't have to keep carrying those things. Will you stand with me? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is how I want to handle communion this morning. I'd like for us, I got people moving. I don't know where everybody's going. I want you to make your way to the altar. And I'm going to have, just before you move, hang just a minute so I can get people positioned. Give me a couple ushers with pans so that when they come, they can get, have one over there, over there, over there, over there. And as you come, get your cup and then just come stand, get as close as you can. All of us that are here. 
Yeah, you guys could come on up here. Thank you. I, I had no clue. I didn't give anybody an instruction of what was happening. If y'all want to be back there and help out, that would be great too. So begin to make your way and come. Worship team, begin to worship, would you? What can wash away my sins? Just come Nothing on up close. But the blood Just come on up close. Jesus. Just come on up close. he gathered with was his disciples in an upper chamber and he had a meal with them Jesus rising from supper took off his robe and he began to go one by one and began to wash their feet even the very one that was soon to betray even the one that had already dipped with him what was called the sop. He washed his feet, Roger. Paul said it was given to him by the Spirit what really took place that night. And Paul said this. He tells us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread that represented his body. And that cup was going to represent or would represent His blood, a new covenant being established. But Paul said, we're not to eat of this unworthily. See, if you think this is just religious activity, you are far, far from truth. But he said, when we Hebrews would say it like this, when they took communion and Jesus said, as often as you do, do this unto me. They were doing it as though Jesus was standing right there with them. And they were seeing Jesus. Get that mic for him, would you? They were giving that, standing there, taking it just like Jesus was there with them. See, to partake unworthily 
is to not see your need of Jesus. To take unworthily is to not realize how, what Jesus has really done for you. Remember, I believe the greatest characteristic of the sinful man was that self-sufficiency. I can do life myself. And every one of us have a battle. Even after giving our hearts to Him, we still battle to go back and do everything on our own instead of yielding ourselves completely to Jesus. So I want everybody, I want you to bow your head for just a moment. I don't want you looking at anybody. I brought you to the altar because it's sacred. This whole house is, but there's something about the area of the altar. I want you to take a look inside where you are. I know there's people in this room today, and you know it. You're not where you're supposed to be with God. Some of you are involved in things that you know is not of the Lord. That you know is not of the Word. This is no time to play a game. And this is no time for misconceptions. God is calling us to a place of holiness before Him. Calling us to a place of total surrender. I heard that word this morning. That we're to surrender it all to Jesus. This morning, if you're in that spot where sin has gripped your life, This is a great time right now to say, Jesus, forgive me. I thought it was interesting how Charlie prayed earlier. Father, forgive us of idols that we have set in front of us, where our confidence has been in this world system instead of you. Could we just take a moment, every one of us, just open your heart up for the Lord? Maybe you know, maybe you don't, but just begin to repent of anything. Just begin to leave it with Jesus. Father, anything. The word of the Lord that came about unforgiveness, about wounded hearts. It's time to let it go. Don't let the enemy trap you any longer, but let it go. Father, Father, we repent this morning. We repent this morning of anything, God. Lord, I repent. I repent of selfishness. I repent of self-sufficiency, God. Forgive me when I've relied upon my own ability, my own strength, Lord. God, if there's hurts, if there's something in my heart that I don't even know, God. God, even a motive that's not right, I repent of it this morning. God, I repent for this church where we've allowed it and we've we've just allowed things to go and almost condone it because we didn't touch it. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive your church. Forgive us of being a people, God, that claim to know you, but our hearts are far from you. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid a price you didn't owe. I have a 
debt, God, I cannot pay. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive. I ask you to release it. Some of you need to verbalize it, and I don't mean out loud. You need to open up your mouth and speak it. The Bible says, with our heart we believe, but with our mouth we make confession. Somewhere you just need to say it openly. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've not just made a mistake. I've sinned against the Lord. Father, we yield to you this morning. We yield. Altura, for you that don't know who this is, I call... He's a son of the house. It's just been a lot of years since he's been here. Him and his wife have been traveling. They've been living in Mexico now for numbers of years, working with people like Heidi Baker and uh, and and John are not from the Toronto blessing, traveling the world and doing ministry. Would you pray over that bread this morning? Yeah, but Shokomanina Ramamama. I feel like the Lord wants to say something. I feel His glory so strong that it's hard for me to speak. Oh, I really feel like the Lord wants to release His glory over this house in a in a different level. Yeah, yeah. In a level that only a few have seen. It is, it is my desire to, re, to bring revival into this house, says yes. the Lord. Yes. What you've been praying, Pastor, for years, the Lord wants to bring it to pass. Yes. I, Arturo, was asking the Lord, Lord, I want revival, I want revival. And he told me something that changed my mind, my way of thinking. He said, do you think you want revival? I said, yes, Lord, I want revival. And he, he said, I want revival more than you do. Yes, yes, yes. He wants you to get closer to him more than you do. He wants you to be healed more than you want yes, to be healed. Yes, yes. He wants you to be free from all these addictions more than you want to be free yes, from yes. all this. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. That's the message for today. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's his heart revealed. Hey, I want you closer to me more than you think. Yes, God. Yes, God. Shh. And one last thing, like, but once he brings us closer to him in another level and his glory falls upon his house, that that we maybe won't be able to walk. Maybe, maybe we'll react different to what, what uh, we know or what we've done in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we going to give him his freedom? Yes. Are we going to welcome those yes, that will look different than we look, yes, that will Jesus. talk different than we talk, yes, that will dress Jesus. different than we dress? Yes, Are Jesus. we going to love them the same yes, way Jesus loved them? Yes, Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just talk about love. He was love and he showed them love. Yes, Yes, God. He ate with the sinners, with yes, the rejected God. ones, with the prostitutes, with those that the the, the, the community kept in a yes, distance. God. 
Jesus was with them. Yes, God. Yes, God. Oh, and the Lord told me, you will be criticized for my glory. So what if hosting his presence, his very strong presence in this house, what is, what if you are criticized by it? Would you stand with your pastor? Shoof. Whoa. Thank you, ah. Lord. Thank you. Lord, we remember treating this bread and uh, what you did on the cross for us. Yes, God. Shoof. And Father, I pray as we take this, oh, that you give us deeper revelation of what you did for us. Yes, God. And bring us closer to you. So right now we take the bread. We eat out of his flesh. Let's eat. Father, we thank you. You said, except we eat your flesh and we drink your blood. You said, we have no life. You said, life was in your blood. I think you the life, abundant life, eternal life, everlasting life. The life of heaven is in your blood. And so I drink it in. I take it in by faith. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.